Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth. And we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and to make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father. And if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. In you I find my joy. Hi, you guys. Good evening. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Bria. I'm the director of operations here at Saints Hill Church. But I also get the privilege of teaching sometimes, and it's so fun. I love it. I'm, I love it now. I didn't used to, so it's fun. Um, so tonight... As we were worshiping, I feel like I was just talking with the Lord about this teaching. And the, I had titled this teaching, uh, a, a Thinking, a Thoughtful Church. And we were gonna talk about just what it looks like to, to think with him, to be a thoughtful people. And as I was in worship, I feel like the Lord was like, you're close, but you're not there. Like tonight, this text is actually, I'm teaching you how to be a stewarding church. I am already pouring myself out on you and the lesson that you need, like, yes, be a thinking church, that's something we love, but tonight, it's that we would be a stewarding church, that we would see what he's already pouring out and that we would learn, come around, see and ask what it can teach us about what it looks like. When God's pouring himself out, what do you do? How do you learn? How do you learn how to steward that, to hold it, to cultivate it? And that's what's so cool about, I love this about Acts, where it falls in the story of God is Acts is this, very first time that the spirit of God is just available to all believers. It's available to all people. Jesus' blood has changed the game so that it's no longer you walk into a temple and you have to go through the priest and there's a select few with access. But he says, oh no, all of you who call my name have access to the holy of holies. You have access to the king of kings. You have access to God to hear his voice, to do things that he does, to see him move. And so that's kind of, I think the call for tonight is that we would be a people who steward the holy. What does it look like to steward the holy, to be able to see and walk with God, but steward it well? Because in Acts, he didn't wait until you knew how and then poured himself out. He poured himself out with fire and then taught the people what to do with it. Taught the people how to walk in it. Taught them how to do it well in relationship with him. And that's what's so fun is that he doesn't, he doesn't get you ready and then pour himself out. He's pouring himself out. And we saw it tonight. I mean, I did. I, he's here. He's in the room. Pre-gathering prayer, he's in the room. Like, when we go out, he's, I see you guys out in Newburgh. He's with you, walking with you, doing things with you. And that's what's so cool. We're in it. We're here. And so what do we do with this? What do we do with what he is already doing? How do we respond to him? And so I think... Before we move, we're gonna get to the text, I promise. Um, but before we get there, I feel like the Lord's kind of inviting us right now. If any of you are hearing this and you're like, outpouring of the Spirit, like God moving, like I haven't felt him in a long time. I think he wants to first, before we even talk about the how and the why, he wants to meet you, to pour himself out on you. So is there anybody in the room, and if not, it's okay. Is there anybody in the room that just wants like, you haven't felt his presence. Even as we were worshiping, you're like, I still feel disconnected with him and you just wanna connect with the Lord. I think anyone who's hungry tonight, he just wants to meet you with a fresh outpouring of who he is. Does that resonate with anybody in the room? Right here? Anybody else? 
Keep your hands up for me. Guys, we're gonna just pray for these people. We're gonna pray for an outpouring of the Spirit. If there's anybody around you with their hands up, please go to them, lay hands on them. There's one here, one here. If there's more, gather around them. You guys can get up out of your seats and do this too. Gather around your family, reach a hand out to them. And we're just gonna pray all together. You guys pray with me, pray over these people. God, we pray that your Spirit would just pour out that there would be a fresh outpouring on your people, that for each of those that raise their hands, that you would just come, God, meet them in a fresh way. We believe that you wanna be close to your people. When they ask for you to move, when they ask to meet with you, you say yes. You are a God who says yes to meeting with your people. So please, Jesus, come, pour yourself out, show yourself, pour your spirit out you would give them just, God, fresh words for their lives, fresh vision for their lives, a bigger vision than what they had when they came in here tonight. You would meet them with who you are, Jesus. Pour yourself out, God. Pour yourself out. We so love you. It's your name. Amen. Amen. Guys, he is going to meet with you tonight. I think he's going to meet with each of us tonight. He already has. He's that good. And so when we look at where our church is, I think that St. Hill is just in this really sweet, we're in a sweet season. We're in a season that makes you just wanna like stop and push pause and really soak it up and see, just see what there is. But I think that's the really cool thing about God is there's not a ceiling with him. He wants to keep moving us, keep growing us. And so tonight, I think we're gonna grow. And tonight, we're gonna look at Acts 21 is where we're gonna start. Um, we're actually gonna go through quite a bit of text tonight, two chapters to be precise. Starting in Acts 21, don't worry, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but I do want you guys to go home and read it tonight. So in Acts 21, we're coming on, um, it's Paul as he's journeying into Jerusalem. So you're seeing him come into contact with some of his friends, with fellow believers, as he makes this journey um, to get to Jerusalem. We're gonna start in verse four and read there. Verse four says... We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. This is where I want you to catch this. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Okay, keep that in your bank. We're gonna move to verse 10. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and we'll hand him over to the Gentiles. This passage, as I was reading about Paul's journey, really caught me. Because <laughs> he's saying, okay, there's people hearing from the Holy Spirit. They're coming to Paul and saying, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul kind of ignores their warning. And your first thought, my first thought, was like, maybe it's not really the Holy Spirit. But it is. Like, it's capital H, Holy Spirit, talking to these people. And even if you go back into the Greek, you can see that the root, these words are coming from, it is the Holy God. It is God himself speaking to these people. So as the believers hear from the Lord and tell Paul not to go, Paul is kind of like not taking their warning. And that was really fascinating to me. That like, how can you have someone over here that's hearing the Holy Spirit and coming up with a different conclusion than Paul, who also hears from the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit pours himself out and they're coming to these two different conclusions, I think we can see that it's not actually about is the word true or not. We can see from the text that it is God speaking. God is speaking to his people. But what's happening is you're seeing two different interpretations. You're seeing two people take what God has spoken and come to different conclusions. And I would argue that Paul's conclusion is the correct one because he's coming from a place of vision. He's coming from a place where he's heard God before. 
And what we wanna see is in, we're gonna actually rewind a little bit to see how we can know that this is the case for Paul. In Acts 20, 22, this is up on the screen, we know that Paul has actually heard these warnings before. So we actually, this word's confirmed, it's been confirmed. He's heard it over and over again. In Acts 20, 22, it says, and now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So the believers are hearing the correct thing. It's the same thing that Paul's been hearing. He knows, everyone agrees, but Paul is still going to Jerusalem. So there's something, there's something different. There's something where Paul hears their advice and he knows that's just good advice. You're, you're actually doing the wrong thing with the word that God gave you. And it's because Paul had a kingdom vision that required heavenly wisdom to interpret the word that was being received. And to see this, we're gonna go back in Acts just one more time uh, to 9.15. It's when Ananias is going to Paul. It's that first call of Paul. We see a little bit of what his mission is gonna be. Verse 15 says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And this, this is what Paul knew to be true that he was a chosen instrument of God to the Gentiles, to the people's kings, and to the nation of Israel, that he would teach people about what it looked like to walk the way of Jesus. He would bring this gospel to the nations, that he would change the world. He had received this vision from God, and he knew it to be true. So even from the beginning, God doesn't hide that there's gonna be suffering. He actually says, he will suffer in my name. But what Paul also sees is that God's giving him a vision much more beautiful. A life call so big that inevitable suffering wasn't a reason to go a different path. His peace actually wasn't on the path of least resistance. His peace was on the path that God had called him to. So why can both Paul and the believers hear the same word and do opposing things with it? Believers can hear and say, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul hears God speak and he says, I must go to Jerusalem. It's not the validity of the word. It's how they're interpreting and it's that Paul is interpreting with a bigger vision that he's already received from the Lord. The people are interpreting out of, I mean, they love Paul. They know him, they love him. They hear about his hurt and they're like, we wanna save you from that. And that's, that's good advice, but it's not heavenly wisdom because he would miss the call that the Lord has brought on his life. To stay would be to miss what God had called him to, that bigger vision. So to be a people who can steward the prophetic is actually to say, okay, first, I need to know who I am. First, I need to catch that bigger vision from the Lord for my life so that when I hear different words, when I see him reveal himself, I actually have a filter from it for it that he's already given me. I have truth for my life that he's already given me and I'm able to steward those things and know what to do with them. Because both of those options are valid options when you hear that word. But because Paul knew what he was called to, he knew to, what to do, that it actually meant to continue to Jerusalem. And what if the believers, I think about this, if they would have stopped, stopped and just asked the Lord, okay, Paul's gonna face suffering, what do we do with that? I think that they would have been directed to encourage him in his suffering, to come alongside him and help equip him for what was ahead, to be able to come and fulfill the goal of prophecy, which is to encourage and to equip our fellow believers they would have been able to do that for Paul if they would respond to the bigger vision and not to their fear. 
And that's like the really cool thing about interpretation is we're receiving words from God and we also get to just like ask him what they mean. I think that those are, we're gonna look at a few different things that this text shows us about interpretation, but this kind of made me think about a story. Um, This last weekend I was in uh, Eugene. I went to a friend's birthday party and she's uh, seven on the Enneagram, if you're into that stuff. She's really fun. And her party idea, I'm like, let's like eat and we'll get a pizza, that'll be my birthday. Her birthday is like, we're gonna do the amazing race. I have 20 teens and we're gonna, I have clues written, I have games made. And I was like, okay, let's go. She said I could be pit crew because I was like, playing sounds exhausting. So I was pit crew. I got to go be at the stations, do all the things. So the first amazing race clue was a clue. Everybody got the same one. And it just said, you have to get to this certain place, but you can't drive yourself. Okay, cool. So you see everybody do crazy things. Like one person just starts running. I was like, there's a lot of other things you could do than run across town with this clue. Another person's like calling their friend. Okay, come get me, pick me up. I was like, that makes sense. But then we have one guy calls Allie. She's my friend who made all the clues. Calls her and is like, okay, so what did you mean by this? Because does it mean that I actually can take my car but someone else can drive it? And she's like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, wow, that is some, I'm probably against the rules in the actual amazing race, but for our purposes, I was like, that works to be able to call the one who made the rules and ask them, what's up? And we have that privilege when we hear things from God, when we walk into interpretation, we get to stop and ask him. I don't, there's like so many times that I've been in pre-gathering prayer, probably like maybe this happens every time, but it'll be like, okay, I saw a vision of this or the Lord gave me a word about this and I had no idea what it meant. So I asked him, what do you mean? And he told me, I mean this. That happens all the time. God is so good that he wants to do the prophetic in relationship with you. And that's the first, the first thing when we're talking about deeper interpretation that's important to remember is that it's done in relationship. Interpretation must be done first in relationship with the Holy Spirit, with God. He helps us divide what is true and what is false. He gives us peace and clarification. He is a God who has given us his mind, the greatest gift, but says, oh no, I want you to keep continually coming back to me. I want you to keep spending time with me, asking me, what did you mean? Where are you going? What are you doing? That we would be so sensitive to his presence that it's not like, oh, I got a word from God one time. It's that no, he's gonna continually speak to you and invite you to a relational discussion with him because he wants to be friend and father to you, to me. He himself is the greatest gift. And if we're more, when we're talking about the prophetic, if we're more concerned with, okay, I wanna go to pre-gathering or be at church and I really wanna get a word. I really wanna get a word for this person or I really wanna have something to share, something of value. And we start putting our value in that experience and not on that giver, there's a misalignment. It happens first that we put our attention on him and our correct interpretation, our correct use of the prophetic comes from first being just lovers of him and getting to spend time with him. So in relationship with God, but also in relationship with each other. Practicing the prophetic in community is huge. That's why we have spaces like pre-gathering prayer, even like this. Guys, I love during worship. I see you going, giving each other words. It's awesome. That's what we should be doing with each other as a family is exercising this muscle of, okay, God, we know you gave us this gift. So like, we're gonna use it. We're gonna test it. We're gonna see what it looks like to live this life with each other. And to know the family of God, it's a really safe place to do that. It's a really safe place to step out, to learn what it looks like to function in the prophetic. So don't miss out. If you're giving a word, interpretation seems fuzzy, you don't have to make anything up. Don't be in a hurry. You can offer what you've heard from the Lord and say, I'm not really sure what this means. 
but maybe it means something to you. Or when we do this in community, that's a really cool thing, is when this happens to me all the time too, is I'll get a word from the Lord. This happened last week with Barbie. I'll get a word from the Lord and be like, I'm not really sure what that means. I hear Barbie start talking, I'm like, that's what it means. Okay, we got it. And that's what it looks like to do this together is that we, we have the mind of Christ. So we do this together. We walk it together. So you can offer up what you've heard. You, you don't have to be sure. Jake is awesome at this. I hear him do it all the time is he'll say, this is something I'm getting from the Lord. Okay, this might just be Jake. And he'll do the balance of it. It's okay to not be sure. It's okay to be able to say like, this is what I think. And it might be the Lord, but also might be me. That's okay, we're learning, we're growing together. And we also are super blessed in this house as we learn about the prophetic to have teachers like Paul who can help guide our interpretations. I think about Andoni's teaching last week. Andoni is a prophet of this house. You can say, what does it look like to live in the prophetic? You can look at Andoni because he's taken the risk, he's given the time, he has spent his life walking with Jesus and walking this out. So you can point and say, like, like that. Like, well, like that is more accurate. But, and there's others in this house, I can't name all of you, but there's people in this house who are able to do that, who have worked their life to spend time with him in relationship with him, to learn what it looks like. We have examples around us. So cultivate these relationships and just be hungry to learn and be willing to learn and be okay with making mistakes. That's the fun of doing the prophetic in relationship. The second way that we interpret is equipped with truth. I think we see this in the passage here too, that right interpretation comes with knowing what God has already said. We see this with Paul, that he knew the scriptures, but he also knew what God had said over his life. The scriptures equip us with the revelation of God, what he's already spoken, what he said about this is what life is for, this is why I made you, this is how I've made you to be, this is how I've created you. He gives us revelation of how to live in his kingdom. We have revelation here. Think about, I like to think about like this. When you're talking to a stranger, right? You run into somebody at maybe a coffee shop or you're doing some small talk and maybe they say something that you're like, not sure what that means. You have no context to interpret what that person meant. You don't have context of, oh, I actually know that their heart is for this, so they must have meant that. Oh, I actually know that their family is like this, so they must have meant that. Oh, I actually know they went to, like, they studied this, so they're probably coming from that perspective. You know none of that. You have no relational context with which to interpret. You have no truth about their life with which to interpret. So you kind of make your best guess or ask them. That could work too. But when you talk to a close friend, someone you really know, there's not as much need for like context, right? There's not as much need to ask them, what did you mean by that? Where were you going with that? What did that, what, what were you trying to say? No, you know them. You know them deeply. You know their heart. You know where they're coming from. So you actually know what they meant by that. And it's the same thing when we come to the scriptures, the more that we know about who God is, what he's like, what he says, the truth of the scriptures, the more that when he speaks, we're like, oh, that's you. That sounds like you. Oh, that's what you, yeah, you would say that, Lord. Like, I know you are like that. And we get to know him and we get to hear his voice more clearly because we know him better and more deeply. We interpret equipped with truth. The third way that we interpret is secure in our identity. Paul shows his maturity and his confidence by knowing his identity. He shows how mature he is, how well he knows the Lord, not by not receiving an interpretation given by his fellow believers. He knew his call so well that he was able to say, mm, that one, that's not for me. He knew where he was going so well. He knew his father so well that he was able to hear a word and let it roll off his shoulders. 
The moment that our church is in is so fun. We use this language, I think earlier today, that everyone gets to play. We are learning, we are having fun, getting to experience what God is doing, and it is beautiful. But like Paul, like soak it in, enjoy it, participate, but also don't be afraid to weigh the words that you receive. It is not immaturity to say, huh, I'm not sure, let me take that to the Lord. That's actually maturity. That's actually what it looks like to walk in wisdom with God. It doesn't make you less spiritual to be unsure about what you receive. So weigh things with the Lord. Take them to the secret place. Know your identity so securely that if an interpretation comes up against it, you're able to say, huh, not for me, and leave it. We value and we honor the words that people give us, but we also are willing to weigh them because we care the most about what he says. Ah, this is fun. Okay. Um, I was thinking about, there's like, just thinking about Paul and how he hears the word, he lets it go, and he keeps going to Jerusalem. And that phrase that people always say about like, oh, you know, God closes the door, he opens a window. I, I probably said that one before. I'm like, there's another way. There's another way to get where you're going. But I think what we can see in Paul is that sometimes it takes discernment to see that the door that's closed is actually one that God's saying, break it down. Just go through. I'm, I'm like asking you to break this down with me. And it takes discernment, it takes that wisdom, it takes those who know their why to know when it's time to walk away and when it's time to break the door down. And I think that that's one of the first things that this passage is showing us about stewardship. It's showing us people, that's what I love, it's showing us people doing it kind of wrong. It's showing us people who are, okay, we're hearing correctly, but we're not interpret, interpreting correctly. And that Paul says, okay, like, well, Luke says, he wrote this, that Luke is showing us actually, okay, here's what it looks like to not take a word that's interpreted incorrectly. Here's what it looks like to interpret well. So we can take that, and as we think about our moment, thinking how do we steward, that's one of the ways, is we steward with correct interpretation. I think the text shows us in, in a lot of those ways that we just went over. So as we move through this story in the text, we follow an unpersuaded Paul. So he's on his way to Jerusalem. And we're gonna pick it up in verse 20. So Paul's gone there and he's telling them all the good things that have happened in his ministry to the Gentiles. And let's come in uh, 21 verse 20 is where we enter that conversation. So when they heard this, speaking of the leaders that he's talking to, when they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, you see brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law. They've been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. He's talking about the Nazarite vow. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. So what we see there in the text is that they're glorifying God for all that he's done. They're saying, yes, that's awesome what's happened with the Gentiles. But we see this really quick gear switch of, okay, that's amazing. Praise God, let's rejoice. But did you remember like all the people that are pretty angry at you? That you've been like, they love the law and you're, you're making them mad. So what are we gonna do about it? And I think that this interaction is really fascinating um, where James, he's asking Paul to endorse the support of this Nazarite vow of men. So it's this, and Paul actually says yes. Um, as I was looking at this, I was kind of, I mean, kind of surprised that he says yes. I, was, I would think like he'd be like, mm, I don't need to do that. 
But commentators have a lot of different things to say about this passage um, of why Paul goes ahead and does it. A lot of people think it's in line with 1 Corinthians 9.20 where he says, to Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. That his heart is in winning the unconverted Jews. It's not in pacifying these Jewish Christians who just love the law. Um, there are also some who say that Luke actually includes this passage because he disagreed with Paul. That because you see that the outcome doesn't go the way they wanted, he actually includes it to be like, he shouldn't have done this. And whatever the case is, I encourage you to study passages like this. I think it's part of what makes the Bible so fun is we have this room to discover, to see what scholars have found over time, how they've interpreted these passages and get to say, huh, interesting, what do I think? And that's like, that's, a really cool part of the Bible. We get to take those areas that are kind of gray and just explore them. I love it. But tonight, I wanna look at this interaction that actually brings up a point that I wanna focus on. Um, They move from glorifying God to focusing on responding to false claims. I think this is where it goes wrong. They respond to rumors circulating about Paul instead of staying in this place of rejoicing over what has been done and saying, hey God, do it again here. Do it again in our place. They said, they've been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? So the issue is actually, they make the issue the false rumor. Paul was teaching the Gentiles that they didn't need to become Jews. He never taught Jews that they couldn't stay Jews. That's fine. But when glorifying God moves to a focus on what had to be done about the circulating rumors, the sight of the main thing was lost. And I think that we, I mean, can relate. We see that same dilemma in the church all the time. We can think about what's said about the church, right? We could make a laundry list. The church is full of bigotry. The church doesn't like women. The church is legalistic. The church and religion are the problem with this country. And there's truth that is rung there in history. There's some truth that rings now. There's a lot more things that we could go over what people think about the church, about what people think about the people of God. But if we as a people of God try to find the incorrect things that people think, we try to find the false rumors, or even just try to find the things that are bad and we try to fix them, the things that went wrong in history, we try to make people think differently, we miss out on rejoicing in the main thing. The simple gospel is actually what changes people's lives. And if we boil the message of the church down to programs or campaigns that try to present us in a better light, we try to make us into something that the world wants, we miss it. And I get, I do, okay, yeah, let's go. And I I get that desire. I love the church. I love the family of God. I want the world to see the church and say, wow, it's beautiful. But the way that that happens is not by trying to meet the world in what they want, to give them what they want. It's by looking at him and being who he's called us to be, being who he wants. And it's something so beautiful that people can't look away. It's something so beautiful that people wanna take part in it. And this was God's idea, right? When he called Israel, he said, I'm gonna call a nation to be a light to the rest of the nations that they might come to know me. My heart is that all people would know me, but I will use my people to be so set apart, to be so different, that they will call the world around them to join in to what they are doing. That they will call the world into how they were made to be. He didn't tell Israel, okay, go into the nations and try to be more like them or try to bring them some, try to show them why you're not weird, try to show them why it's actually like cool that you do the sacrifice thing. He didn't say any of that. He said, I'm gonna set you apart to me. 
You are gonna be a people who call on Yahweh God, who are set apart to his purposes and his plan, and that is where you're gonna keep your eyes. And as you do, the nations will come to me. It doesn't cancel what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. It simply gives us our why. And that evangelism is a necessary overflow. Evangelism is this necessary overflow of what it means to be a people of God, to maintain what we see God say his people are to be like. Our why is that we've met God, that we have endless reason to glorify him, that we will keep our eyes on him, will respond to him, not to rumors, not to hate, not to changing times, but to him. We live to honor him, not to pacify the masses. The best way for the world to catch a true vision of the church is not for the church to work to meet the world's demands, but for the church to live and love as she's been called to be, fully alive and in Jesus. I think that Paul went into Jerusalem with his eyes fully fixed on Jesus. This isn't a critique of Paul. It's more a critique of that response, that it would not be ours. That when we get the chance to see what God is doing and to glorify it, we wouldn't turn our eyes to find the issue and run after the issue, but we would keep running after him. A people that steward well keep their eyes on Jesus. And in the end, this attempt to resolve the rumors didn't work anyway. So we're gonna pick up there in 2127. It says, when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled the holy place. I got lost, sorry. Where am I? Oh, okay. For, I was like lost in my Bible. It's on my screen. I'll go there. I like this better though. Okay, verse 29, picking it up. For they had previously seen Trophimus and Ephesians with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune at the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. So we're gonna go down just a couple verses to verse 34, and this is where we're gonna end this section. It says, some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts about the, because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. So the next thing we learn about a people that steward is that they are wary of the crowd. There is a stirring anger in this crowd based on false accusation. The irony of this whole thing is that Paul is literally in a time of purification and they're accusing him of defiling the temple. They make a supposition and they run with it. They build anger in one another and they say, okay, we just need to kill him. This crowd is defined by their confusion. There's no stopping to ask for clarification. There's no relationship. And the thing I find the most fascinating why, why we added this at the end there is verse 34. That when the tribune, tribune comes on the scene, he's just trying to figure out what's going on. It says he could not learn the facts because of the uproar. The crowd is so loud with this message that they've decided on that facts actually can't be discerned. The language used in the passage kind of directs us back to Jesus, to the crowd in Luke 23, 18, when they said, away with him, calling for the death of someone that they probably didn't even know. I can imagine there were a lot of people in the crowd at the cross who never heard Jesus speak, who didn't know his message. They just saw him as dangerous. That there were many in the crowd who believed that Paul was a destroyer of the Jewish face, although they'd never listened to his message. The crowd catches on the chant of the masses and they believe it is truth and then they get so loud that facts can't be found. 
This sounds a little familiar. We in the 21st century, super lucky, because we have the crowd right here. We carry the crowd around in our pocket. The crowd is constantly declaring what is true. They are choosing who needs to go, and the facts are hidden beneath the noise. And it's easy to go with the crowd. To stand up, to be the guy in a mob that goes, um, excuse me, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? What, what did he do? That's a person who's ridiculed, who invites unwanted attention to be on the receiving end of the crowd's call for destruction. So we go, we repost, we like, we keep scrolling until we're swept up in the thoughts of the crowd. Asking for the end of people that we never actually listen to and for outcomes that we actually don't know the consequences to. The scriptures are inviting us to think, to step back from the crowd, to get in a quiet space where facts can be heard, where he can be heard, to be a people who before we repost or we join or we go, to get with him. The confusion of the crowd is combated by the clarity of the secret place. The confusion of the crowd is combated by the clarity of the secret place. May we be slow to join the crowd when his peace and truth are not there, may we separate from it completely. May his presence be our clarity, not our feeds or our favorite podcasts, but him. We don't often find in the scriptures a part where it's a really positive thing to be a part of the crowd. I would think that a set apart people doesn't find their place there super often. The crowd is quick to confuse and quick to destroy, but may we be quick to run to the secret place slow to accuse, motivated by love. A people who steward are wary of the crowd. And to end, we, are, we see Paul's defense, which is really surprising. The crowd does stop and listen to him. Don't really know why, but they do. And Paul gives this defense, and his defense is his testimony. His defense is the story of God. The defense is that he knows the living God and that he is actually, he's like, I'm actually a really good Jew because I get visions and words from the Lord and I obey them. I can do nothing but obey what he said. And this defense moves us towards, I think, the very last thing of what it looks like to be a people who steward well. It's to be a people who choose obedience. In chapter 22, 18 through 21, we see a part of Paul's story that's actually only in this place in the scriptures. You can read that with me, starting in verse 18, chapter 22. This is, um, he's talking to the Lord and the Lord responds and he says, I saw the Lord speaking to me, quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. What's actually happening here in this piece is Paul's arguing with God. God's saying, I'm gonna send you to the Gentiles. And Paul's response to him is, well, actually, I'm like a pretty renowned Jewish guy. I ran the synagogue. I watched Stephen be killed and I said, yeah, go do it. He's, if I bring the message, they'll trust me. They know me. And the Lord responds and just says, go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And what does Paul do? He goes, he goes to the Gentiles. He says, okay, I have my logic, but I just heard God's and it trumps mine. I heard what God said and it trumps what I think makes sense. As a people who steward well, we have to be willing to lay our logic before the Lord and to trust him over ourselves. That we would be an obedient people who when we hear him speak, we say yes. 
It's the same thing that we see in the garden, right? Original sin came from this whole thing of, mm, we don't really trust him. We trust what we think. We trust ourselves, so we're gonna choose our own way. The invitation of good stewards, the invitation of people who are able to steward the holy is that we see the face of God and we choose obedience, that we say yes to him. To choose our own logic is to think for ourselves, but our mind will never dream as big or see what we're made for unless we think with him and we choose his logic, his way. Obedient is the best way that you can live your life. So let's choose it daily. And obedience leads Paul to this final moment in the final verses where we see that the prophecy was true. Paul was in chains and carried out, but he doesn't die. That Roman citizen thing comes in real clutch for Paul again here, and they don't kill him. What we see is that Paul saw a word, and he, said, he got the word the people got. He saw tribulation, and that tribulation was true. But he saw it and said, oh, that God would be glorified anyway. I can't help but go because there's a promise that God would be glorified. I think that this text as a whole presents us two really simple options when we think about stewarding. It's that will we have our minds set on our own preservation? Will we think and respond with our fears in mind, with our preservation in mind, with our way of life in mind? Or will we set our minds on his glory? Set our minds on him, set aside self-preservation, set aside and just respond to him moment by moment. My hope is that as our church family, we continually choose his glory. So to recap a little bit, when we talk about these ways that we steward, may we think with God's thoughts. May we be a people that engage with the prophetic and who learn with one another. May we keep our eyes on Jesus. May we be wary of the crowd. And may we choose obedience day after day after day. And that's one of the really sweet things about following Jesus is that he wants the whole person. He doesn't desire that we turn off our minds to follow him or that we, we change just like all that we are to follow him. He invites us to say, let me show you who I made you to be. Give me your whole person. And that's my desire for us. It's one of like the really deep longings that I have is that we would see a people who were just a fully submitted people to Jesus. That it's almost like you see saying something like, did you guys forget what it's like out there in the real world? And it's like, no, because we caught a glimpse of reality and we're after it. We caught a glimpse of what he's like and we're after him. So we will give up anything. We will go anywhere. We will go after our Lord Jesus. Because the truth is found only in him. It's his overflow of love that invites us into his family. It is that simple gospel. It's that God made us and he has ever since the moment he made us and we turned from him wanted to be with us so bad that he has made way after way and in Jesus made the way that we get to come into his presence again, that we get to be near to him. And I'm gonna invite the worship team up. I'm even gonna invite the prayer team to come forward. But we have this invitation of nearness tonight. He's inviting us to just come and like even we talked about at the very start of this, God is pouring himself out. But tonight as we move into a time of worship and a time of prayer, if you are someone who feels like you are far from him, that he's not near, he is. And he's inviting you to see what is true about you tonight. I think another thing tonight as we, as we pray, that we would be a people who pray for his thoughts. Um, one thing is I was thinking and praying through this teaching today that if they, you're here and you're thinking, oh, my mind has just been like a buzz. 
I have just been thinking about just what, what my life is gonna be, what career should I pick, what, what way should I go, how should I live. He wants to give you his thoughts, that we would pray for his thoughts tonight. And for those, I think the last thing we wanna pray for is if you feel caught up in the crowd, it's been a crazy season. If you feel like you got caught up in the crowd, step out tonight. Step out of the crowd, choose obedience to God alone, and that you would just set yourself apart to him. That's the invitation tonight. So if any of those resonate with you, come forward for prayer. Our team would love to pray for you. And Andoni also has some words from our pre-gathering prayer time that we're gonna invite you guys to enter into as well. Thanks for listening. And if we can do anything to help you, or if you wanna stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website, saintshill.church. And the yoke is so much easier when I'm found